Hello and a massive, massive welcome back to this week's Eurofocus football podcast. And what a week it has been. As I'm sure many of you know and many of you saw yesterday, the Black Country Derby was back and in force and in typical Black Country Derby fashion, filled with tension. So welcome back to Ben for this week's episode. And we are going to start the conversation, being as we are two Wolves fans, on yesterday's event over at the Hawthorns. So thank you very much for joining on this week's episode. So Ben, as usual, how are you doing, mate? You all good? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. Yourself? All good after yesterday. Still trying to get over it, to be honest. And we're back here in the studio. 30 years of her ended yesterday. 28 years. <sighs> we'll round it up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, yeah, what a result for Wolves. And it was great from a, you know, from different perspectives. From a buyer's perspective, obviously amazing for Wolves yeah. to win at the Hawthorns. But from a f- purely footballing perspective, we, you know, fan troubles aside that we all saw yesterday, um, it was great to have the Black Country Derby back and really show the country that it isn't to be messed with when it's considered amongst the derbies of the rest of the country because it's been that long since it's been played. Yeah, with it's fans. been forgotten about a little bit because yeah. of how long it's been. And it's such a special day, to be honest. Um, a great day with all the Wolf supporters at the Hawthorns, alcohol free, as we couldn't get a drink in the ground due to the. I'm guessing the request of the old West Midlands police, mm-hmm. who uh, were very much involved <laughs> with yesterday's fixture, fixture, as I'm sure many of you saw watching on TV. But from a purely performance perspective, nothing to moan about. Albion were always, always going to be up for it, weren't they? Yeah, we spoke about it yesterday, and I know there was a lot of chat about it being a potential banana skin for us, which obviously um, could have been. But yeah, we didn't really ne- need to get out of second gear, really. Albion are obviously always up for it's their cup final. But um, <laughs> yeah, we you know we weren't up to you know the highest level that we could have been, but we didn't have to be. Um, Thought Neto and Kuna were really the difference. Um, Albion created a few chances, just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, with all due respect to West Brom, I thought that they they. There was nothing to moan about from their point from their point of view, and I've seen their fans say that on the logs of Twitter. And yeah, it's a good performance. You know, it, it was respe- a respectable performance against. Not, I know it's a derby, and they're always going to be up for it, but against at the end of the day, a Premier League side, a mid-table Premier League yeah. a side that's pushing Europe this season, hopefully. With sides with with players, sorry, when you look at people like Mateus Cunha, who cost more than what the West Brom squad was yeah. put together. Do you know what I mean? It's as I say, from a purely Wolves perspective, I'm buzzing with the result. From a, from a performance, not the most all-inspiring, but I don't think any of us were expecting that. It was about going there, showing that this team, they simply do get it. And you saw that with Matthijs Cunha's celebration. You saw that with Gary O'Neill at the end. There's something special about this team. And I don't, I personally, I'll say it on record now, that this team just gets it. And I think more than what that 1920 side did under Nuno. I know that it may be controversial, but in terms of just the way that the likes of Cunha, Mario Lamina, who I think should be captain, to be honest, yeah. um, have came in and simply embraced everything about Wolves, I think is fantastic to watch. And I think, give O'Neill some backing. I know that we're still strong financially, but give the man some backing. Uh, 100%, I think, especially in our lifetime, it's probably the biggest difference from a Wolves side to an Albion side in terms of strength. Now, I know there was a little golf yesterday, but those are the games that you do lose against your local rivals. You know, like you said, 28 years of hurt. Now, I'm completely with you. Get, give O'Neill some backing. What he's done this season, considering you know 98% of pundits 
predicted for us to be the team to go down this year, to be sitting pretty mid-table, looking to go on and push. I think just give him a little bit of backing. For, for me, I said it on last week's episode, where we're going into games that we always believe we can get something. And yesterday, the pressure was massively on us. Yeah. That is a game that Wolf sides of old have lost, even when we are the better sides, yeah. such as when in Nuno's last season at the club. You know, and the pressure was on us, and we went there and dealt with it impeccably, I thought. We never got strung into making all right challenges. The players never got involved with any of the sort of physicality like you saw Kyle Bartley when he physically assaulted Mateus Cunha. <laughs> um, and the players, they played the game as well as the occasion. Yeah. And that's what I really like about this team. And I thought yesterday was a professional performance. And it was nice to see for once in our lifetimes as a Wolves supporter that we're dealing with said pressure. And we're going into these games because it, it, we, we know that throughout history, we've slipped on banana skins, haven't we? Oh, ma- massively. Absolutely. So many times throughout history where Wolves have gone into a game and which you should win and we've ended up losing. I remember Stoke in the FA Cup a few years ago. Was it, I know it was in lockdown, but the 1-0 that we lost to Stoke that year, I believe. There's so many over the... Even in recent history. We, we've just always been... you know, like I'm, I'm 23 and throughout my lifetime of watching the Wolves, it just always happens and you know, again... Again, it happens. Again, and then yeah. this is the first season where like, we've got this, you know, monkey off our back, um, if, you, if you like, about West Brom. It's always been, you know, a bogey team. Now, like you said, and that's the best thing as a fan, when you can know that your team are going places and you think they're going to get a result because that helps confidence more than anything. And football confidence is key. If we can go anywhere, think we can get a result, helps 10 times more. I want to have a little chat about the FA Cup because I think, for me, it will always have a special place in, I think, most people's hearts as football fans, just for the pure magic it brings. Yeah. And we've got Brighton next in the cup, and mm. at the end of the day, we're one game away from a quarter-final. Yeah. It's, if you respect this competition and give it the, that sort of admiration that it deserves, you can go far in this competition, as we saw before when we got to the semi-finals, to unfortunately yeah. somehow be undone by that Watford team in yeah. the extra time. But... Um, what are your thoughts on the FA Cup as a whole? Do you think it's something that, even by mid-table sides like ourselves, can often get disrespected? Um, well, I'm a massive fan of the FA Cup in a way. Maybe it stems back from you know, when I was growing up, my granddad telling me about um, Ronnie Redford, you know, Gazza's um, FA Cup final 40-yard free kick. And it's just it's always got a special place, especially um, you know being as close to Hensford Town as we do live, in the fact that teams can go from nothing to something in the space of a few weeks. Now, it's been put out a little bit in the last few years because the big teams aren't really focusing on it as much as they used to. But it needs to be protected. Maybe there needs to be a seeding. I'm not a massive fan of that. Um, I think you just take it as it comes, and like it always has been. But what's your thought on, is it becoming a little bit behind the times now with due to big clubs not really you know, taking it serious? I think that, for me, you can't base the opinions on the FA Cup of the opinions of supporters and of big six clubs. No, but I mean, is it this generation si- that, like we grew up with a massive respect for the FA Cup and what it means, but do you think this new generation of you know social media and and kids coming yeah. up through here, they're going to look at the FA Cup and think, oh, maybe it's just a posh league cup. I, I definitely see that. Yeah. I do see that, and you see it a lot on social media, which is what I mean, where you can't just base the opinions on 
a small minority yeah. of a lot of whom support bigger clubs yeah. whose managers who will get onto Jurgen Klopp in a bit and his departure but people like Jurgen Klopp have always moaned about it due to obviously congestion with matches and obviously they play a lot of European matches but that's always been a part of football yeah it's only since the real sports science element of it has come into it that people have gone, hold on, do we need two cup competitions? I think that you need to keep the fabric of, especially our English footballers, English lads ourselves, you've got to keep that passion there. And especially as a Wolves supporter, I'd rather have a late run in the FA Cup and a possible Wembley trip and finish 13th than I would finish 8th and go out in both cups in the early stages. Yeah. Because... You're getting those experiences, even when we went to Nottingham Forest last, se- last season, sorry, and lost on penalties yeah. in the Carabao Cup. You're getting an experience of a quarter final. It's that dreaming that is so special for a football fan, isn't 100%. it? And I think if you take that away, these cup competitions are so crucial. And I can guarantee when you ask match going fans of, for example, of your Liverpools and Manchester Cities and that, they will all say about how special those days were winning these competitions. <laughs> you know, I see it on Twitter and I see. Liverpool fans and Chelsea fans so excited to go to that Carabao Cup final it's certainly not dead cup competitions will always live on and they should be respected 100% the Carabao's always even from when I remember you know people think it's kind of the Mickey Mouse to the FA Cup and none of them will either kind of go but big top six teams take it for granted massively because we not really saw a massive shock recently in a team that's won it but you go back as far as 2013 with you know Wigan and it gives teams that may be in lacklustre in the league that season a chance to win something a chance to give their fans something to you know sh- shout about and that's what it is you know you could be finishing 20th in the championship but you could go on a run in the FA Cup and that changes everything and it's not even about winning it as well it, it's just the idea of a run, run. Look at what Maidstone are doing. And we see this every year where there's a side that, as you said earlier, comes from the depths. And we love it, personally, for George Elikobi, mm-hmm. like ex-Wolves. Indeed. But um, it's great to see. And it's, especially when you see a proper giant killing as well. Yeah. And we've seen them however many times in the past. Yeah, we see it a lot, yeah. We were close yesterday. Um, with Newport and Manchester yeah. United, yeah. And it's those memories. And I don't, I will never get the argument about replays because... It's it means so much to the teams down in the lower leagues yeah. that replays can't be scrapped. Yeah, I get it when people go like when we had to replay against Brentford a few weeks ago. It's obviously frustrating, but that has been the fabric of the FA Cup since its inception. It's not even just the fabric of the FA Cup; it's the fabric of English football. Mm-hmm. And the FA Cup's always been the big one. Everything's changed in English football. You know, we went from um, having divisions to a cut off of a Premier League, and then the rest of the divisions. The only kind of standard thing that's been there the only statue of English football has been the FA Cup and you need to respect that I always hear my granddad and people around that sort of age talk about how the FA Cup back in the day it was a whole day experience wasn't it Mm -hmm. you'd sit in front of the telly if he wasn't there you'd watch all of the build up people interviewing each other on the one in the morning one in the afternoon it was and even the final used to be replayed, didn't it? Mm, yeah. if, if that was... Um, yeah, back in the day, it was a draw, there'd be no pens, you go straight to a replay a week later. Yeah, I find that mad, to yeah. be fair. It, it's crazy when you think back and imagine having the momentum of a cup final. Like, let's say you're Hereford against a, a big team, you know, like Liverpool. You have a momentum on the day and you've got a replay the next... The amount of times that there must have been absolute smashings on that replay. Oh, yeah. oh well, for me... 
just a little just a little segment that we've done really but I think that cup competitions have got to be protected in not just England across Europe we saw last week the drama at, um, and we, just to lead on to Barcelona really but we saw um, last week Athletic Bilbao and uh, Barcelona yeah. you saw the scenes in San Mamet that day um, thanks to Iñaki Williams with his like did it finish 5-3 in the end did it or it's 5-2 was it 5-3 that's a Villarreal game, wasn't it? Yeah. But anyway, uh, sorry guys. I digress. The um, across Europe, we see the cup competitions that in Germany, Bayer Leverkusen are the best team left in that competition. Yeah. Well, Bayern got dumped out for was it first round? Bayern got dumped out. Yeah, they against um, was it a third or fourth division side? Yeah. Wasn't it? it? Might have been even lower than that. Mm. But it it's the hope also that gives a club that come from nothing the barren wasteland of English football you know anyone can get there and I know it doesn't happen a lot these days with the golf but when you start out in your qualifying rounds of the FA Cup when you get start getting into proper cup rounds there's that hope for any team that they can get to Wembley and that doesn't happen with any other club competition a team like our local team called Hensford Town you know dwindling over the not had a great 10 years it's physically possible, improbable, but it is possible that we can go next year and we can play a big team in the final of the FA Cup. And it's possible. Ramboyles people always always bring up that day away, um, away at Middlesbrough, don't they? Yeah, and then we won um, the charity, no, um, the FA Trophy in late, no, early 2000s. We went away to um, Middlesbrough in 1995, in I believe. Cup, yeah. yeah, 1995, I believe, went away. Um, nearly got a result yeah it's it, it's as I say these competitions need to be protected and leading on to Barcelona as I say you saw those scenes in Bilbao last week Barcelona themselves very much in the news of two one of two absolutely astronomical events that have happened in the world of football this week yeah. we'll start with probably maybe the lesser of the two in terms of the shock yeah um, Xavi leaving Barcelona not so much a shock in the sense of him going because I think that they've been very poor this season. For the last but, couple, I know they won um, the league last year, but with what's happened in Europe the last couple of years with him, what next? What for Barcelona or Xavi? Barcelona. It's, it's a big question. There'll obviously there'll be big names that want to go there because they are Barcelona, but who's good enough to do it? They'll need time. You know the one the one person that I could see going there and maybe doing stuff is Arteta in the fact that the process that he's had with Arsenal. I know he's not won anything yet, but that kind of needs to be replicated in Barca. Mm. In the fact that taking your time, have a few years. Yeah, you maybe have mediocrity for a little while, but then you'll be back essentially. But I don't think Arteta's leaving this season. Don't I think the job at Arsenal's not finished? Yeah, there's unfinished business but there, isn't there? I just don't see who could go to Barcelona and turn that team around I think it's rotted from the core at the moment the thing is with both their transfer policy and even on the field there's been so many square pegs in round holes yeah. just the last few years in general they've been sorry I just knocked the mic there have been um, times where they've made brilliant signings and been able to attract big name players I mean when Frankie de Jong was obviously leaving Ajax that was really the kickstart of the new era I'd say and um, yeah they've attracted these big names bringing Joao Cancelo in bringing Ilkay Gundogan in who just left the treble winning side in Manchester City in the form of his life last season tempting Robert Lewandowski away from Bayern 
they're making big name signings, but it's a square pegs in round holes impact really because they didn't need Gundogan. No. In theory, they didn't really need Cancelo with the system they were playing last season with, with sort of Araujo or Kunde on the right-hand side with Balde pushing up on the left who's now out for four months because they can't handle youngsters because they yes. get played way too much and end up getting injured at a youngster <laughs> early stage of their career. There's Rafinha's never really done it in a Barcelona shirt and I said before on a, a few episodes ago that their tactics and their system last year was catered towards creating space for Usman Dembele. The God of Dembele. Yeah. And now... Joao Felix, who, yet again, another square peg in a round hole approach where he's not an out-and-out winger. And without Balde running down the left now, without that bombing fullback, the space that he gets on the inside isn't going to be there. Mm. Rafinha isn't half as effective as Dembele was, as yeah. frustrating as Usman Dembele is. Rafinha doesn't offer the same. The youngsters coming through, they, they signed uh, Victor Roque in early, in, early okay, January. Yeah. He's barely getting any minutes of, of note, it, despite Lewandowski's extremely poor form. Mm. And Oriol Romeo as a Sergio Busquets replacement. Yeah, it, it says enough, doesn't it? He was lingering around football, I mean, he's, he's, football's he's, insecurity yeah. last year, and then. But that's the problem, I and mean, it's so hard to put your finger on Barcelona as a whole. We know they've had problems. You know, this probably goes back to probably 2016 really um, after well it was a couple of years after that Champions League winning side in 2015 and then they didn't really know how to go from there debt mounted up and they basically had to get rid of their gods essentially and then after that the wheels just came off they like you said just trying to fit anyone in the team. They'll always attract big names because of who they are. But it's just fitting them in. Yeah. It, it, it's not... There's no point of just getting big names who are good players and then going, go on, do some magic. You... And the worst thing that happens is they won the league last year, so you paper over the cracks a little bit. The like, league win certainly did paper over the cracks oh, 100%. as well. 100%. Go out in Europe early, two seasons in a row. Um, won the league, paper over the cracks, and then you come back now. What are they? Third, about 12 points off Real Madrid out of, lost to the Super Cup of two Real, out of the Copa del Rey, Champions League still on the cards, but we're expecting either this round or next round, but they'll probably be out. The thing is for me is that they, last season when they beat Real Madrid convincingly over in Riyadh in the Super Cup, yeah. that was when I thought that, that these the are really onto something here. There's a brilliant group of young players coming through. You look at Pedri and Gavi, in midfield Pedro just looks like he's alone man out there without without him I don't know where they'd be I, I remember the run that Alex Baldi made in that final and I really thought this Barcelona team with a new centre forward because with with an ageing Lewandowski mm. possibly a few which is a strange sign in any way he, he was great last season yeah, and he, he started he, to tail off physically naturally and he hasn't been at his best this season but it would, it made sense at the time but then did but, it because what we heard from Barcelona is that we, yeah we We've setting foundations for the future to be we're using our young players and then you get a 35 year old striker in who you know is going to have max a couple of seasons mm. and then you go oh well two seasons later oh what are we doing he's not and scoring and they're back at square one yeah. but that's the thing because that, 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 that period they were really onto something and I thought this was their route back to the top yeah. and they've completely ripped up those plans obviously Busquets left in the summer Jordi Alba left in the summer you can't not acknowledge that yeah but they're bringing in completely different profiles of players. 
Frankie de Jong has played every position in midfield over the last couple of seasons because of the fact that he's one of the most reliable players and he still continues to get criticism because of the different roles he's playing in. There's players such as, as I say, Ilkay Gundogan, they didn't need him. As much as I love him, no. and I think he's one of the best footballers and best midfielders of his generation, did they need him at that time? No, no way. Um, Joao Felix was just available at the time. Oh, they're not buying Joao Felix, obviously. They've announced that... They would if their yeah. financials allowed them to. And Cancelo, which they don't have the financials to do. And that's what it all stems down from. The financials of it just being run badly. And we see it so much in modern football. When a club's not run, it filters down from the top to the bottom. And now we get into the point with it's been papered over the cracks so much... And in the last three or four seasons, the Barcelona that me and Cam and you listening, if you're around our age, grew up with was shouts of Barcelona being the greatest team of all time. They win everything. You know, Real Madrid didn't get a kick in the league. You know, this is the greatest team we've seen. And now look at what they are now. They're a team that's scratching for mediocrity and trying to just fit everyone in. And that's the thing because Xavi leaving doesn't solve all of the issues. What do you do? I understand why he personally wants to go because why would you want to manage this club with, with the... No, no, I mean from a Barcelona, from a Barcelona point of view, like, where would you go after Xavi? And that's... You, you look at who's available and if they they want to stick to the Barcelona ideals because it's Barcelona and they don't stray away from them, do they? Yeah. So a De Zerbi wouldn't necessarily work at, at Barcelona. You look... A Jurgen Klopp wouldn't work. That, not that he'd go there anyway. Get Coven in again. <laughs> That's the thing. They after um, Enrique left, they had uh, Kike Setien, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Was it him or Kuman first? Kuman was ah. Uh, was it? Uh, was he after Setien? I believe so, but don't don't care. Yeah, just have a quick look at that because Setien was in charge when they lost to Bayern eight two, wasn't he? But for me, I just don't understand the direction that they're trying to go in because Chavi leaves. They want to stick with the same Barcelona ideals of promoting youngsters and the same style of football being played. Setien and then Coman. Setien and then Coman, yeah. But at the same time, they're just offloading money on players that they don't need. So Xavi, for him, it was a poison chalice this season anyway because it's the most pressurised job in football, isn't it, really? Barcelona, in terms of the eyes that are on you. Barcelona, just because it's so patriotic as well. Also... Like you can, with other super clubs, you can kind of win stuff and get away with it. Like if you have a bad season, but with Barcelona, if you're not keeping the harmony in the club and you have a decent season, your head's on a spike anyway. And especially the turmoil, well, not, I wouldn't say turmoil, but the situation involving the stadium at the minute, fans are simply aren't connected to the club. And unfortunately, that falls on Xavi. And he's took the decision to go out with somewhat his head held high, which I don't blame him for, mm. leave before they can sack you. But yeah. where do they go? You look at the managers available, the list of top coaches isn't that high. In Spain, there's... They're not getting Klopp, which obviously no. we'll come on to, but I saw a lot of um, talk about is Klopp going there. Klopp is not going to Barcelona. The most sensical man, although he won't leave at this point, but I believe who will be a Barcelona manager in the future will be Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta. Yeah, He's going but to go. He's going to go there at some not, point in his career, yeah. but not now. And that leaves another decision. Can they just go with another stopgap again, like they did with Kuman, like they did with Setien, where they're just hoping that... They'll do all right. Yeah. Whereas when Luis Enrique was in charge... They won everything. They did. I mean, that team that won the 2014-15 Champions League with the 
famous Messi Suarez Neymar front three was just ridiculous. Yeah, and we are aware that yeah that team was an anomaly, and that that squad is obviously having you know Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, Neymar, Jordi Alba. PK, Busquets, and a lot more. That's a team that you can't replicate. You know, you can't, they're you know, few and far between. Um, but it's just the way that there's no thought going into it at all. It's, we want a little bit of success now, and we want to keep on going, but how are you going to get there? And that seems the problem. They, they're they probably going to get a stopgap manager in. So they'll, no, they'll be no talking to Arteta, won't they? They'll be talking to Arteta, and Arteta will probably go, well, not, not at the moment. Well, so, it, he's rubbished the rumours today, hasn't he, yeah. in um, his press conference about him leaving. I imagine he's the first person that they got on the phone to. Hmm. Well, obviously, I think that's always going to be the case. But who else, really? There's not anyone that that don't have that pull anymore to get managers to resign and come back. And, and it's not it's just about mess. getting a manager in because you can go and get some of the world's top managers. You can go and get Inzaghi from Inter, for example. But you need managers that suit the Barcelona way, that want to play a certain way. And that old school Barcelona way isn't always, as we've seen in modern football, the best way to play anymore. Do you know, I'd love, I would like Jose. Just for the crap, man. It wouldn't happen. I, I, no, I'd, I'd, I'd love it just... Um, After so everything cool. that's happened between him. It'd be, it'd be so cool. But um, even Bobby Robson, wouldn't he? That's where he was a translator first. So, you know, maybe yeah. we could come full circle. Everyone would forget everything that's happened. And that is true. And Jose, in memory of Sir Bobby. Pet back. <laughs> Pet back. That would be a full circle, wouldn't it? That, mate, yeah. He's gone, he won everything with Barcelona. Goes would you take him, Barca fans? <laughs> any Barcelona fans listening, if there's any of you uh, sat at home listening to this, then please let us know. No. On to another manager that's really took the headlines in the last week or so, and deservedly so, mm-hmm. after his time at the club. Jurgen Klopp leaves Liverpool after, is it nine years in charge now? Nearly nine, 2015, yeah. I believe. Nine years in November, wasn't, wouldn't, it, no. wouldn't it be something like that? What a time he's had at the club, and I... I know that it's difficult to draw the line between saying, "Oh, but they haven't won. Whether well, they, they haven't won as much as Pep has at Manchester City." Oh, come on. If you can't see the context of what Jurgen Klopp has done for Liverpool, then football maybe isn't the sport for you. Because the way that he's galvanised the city and really oh. brought that feel to Anfield, to the whole club, made Anfield what it was in the past and a place where you go and you simply don't get results, do you? No. Just harping back to our youth, but when we were growing up, we, I'm born in 2001, by the way. Liverpool didn't win anything. They won a Champions League 2005. They won, um, which I don't really remember if I'm honest. They won a scattered couple of league cups. A Carling Cup but, in 2011. Yeah, 12, under Dalglish. Um, but they never really won anything. They, they were, yeah, you know, they finished second in the Prem a few times, but then the, the skater off, and then before Klopp. They obviously got close to Brendan Rodgers, but they they were never the world beaters that they are today. And to people that compare it to to City, it's it's clueless. There's been no team that has pushed the team that far and done what they've done. A Champions League, what is it? Um, three Champions League finals he's been to, lost against Real. Twice, yeah. Yeah, and it's club world it's Cup, crazy. Club World Cup champions. They've won every cup competition in England. They've pushed one of the greatest Premier League sides of all time for a number of years to the point of where they're getting upwards of 90, 96, 97 points and still not winning yeah. the title. And it's not just about that. It's the way that he's adored by supporters. And he simply, 
I get why certain people say oh, they, they might not like him personally because of his issues in interviews. But um, from a purely footballing perspective, he simply gets it, doesn't he? 100%. He gets what it means to manage a Liverpool football club. And even from an outsider's point of view, you can't help but admire that. I personally, growing up, didn't like some of the things he said. I remember a few years ago when he blamed the wind for Wolves beating them uh, in the uh, FA no, Cup. He loves an excuse. Yeah. He loves an excuse. But all managers do at the end of the yeah. day. But we just we need to realise that Liverpool weren't, you know, they had 30 years of not being a global powerhouse from the success in the 80s. And then Klopp came in in 2015 and has just completely changed everything in that club. The complete mindset, isn't it, from top to bottom? Yeah. And they've got, you know, naughty owners as well, you know, owners who didn't really do you know anything before the manager relationships were always frayed sacking a manager every couple of years he came in and obviously with um, FSG Fenway Sports Group he's he put his foot down and gone this is my club I'm going to do what it is and look what they've done in the last few years I know he has that you know one season unreal and then maybe a little a little layoff the next season but what he's done in the nine years and absolutely remarkable this season as well I think the way that People are calling it Liverpool 2.0, aren't they? The way that over the summer, the signings of Sabozlai, McAllister, the likes of those, he's completely rebuilt a side that needed refreshing, didn't it? Yeah. Obviously, Sadio Mane is leaving Juvijnaldum's in over the last few years, and then more recently, likes of Jordan Henderson, etc. Over last summer, Fabinho's. It was a side that needed refreshing, and he said, "Hold on, I'll do this. I'll set the club up again for the future." for somebody else to come in and who may that be we'll get on into him, get onto in a minute but he's set them up again for another potential era of challenging for titles and challenging at the top end of Europe again 100%, hasn't he? 100% um, the foundations that he's built players that he's signed you know he's not spent I know he's spent money but he's not spent crazy 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 money um, in, in terms of what he's took out as well mm. you know he's made a lot of good deals um, the Coutinho deal as well that set them up to yeah, well, your with that Van money Dijk what he brought Van Dijk and Alisson and uh, we're not saying that he's not spent crazy money but the amount he's sold and you know he's made you know FSG a lot of money and he's took them to places that I think Liverpool fans never thought they'd be able to get at a point I agree definitely Chabi Alonso yeah you think yeah this summer yeah you really think that yeah um, obviously Klopp's going to go um, the end of the season I think have a well deserved break yeah yeah, 100% he's got a house being made in Mallorca apparently yeah I said that the other yeah. day Mark, Mark Lawrence he was on yeah it's a secret so don't tell anyone as he told it <laughs> as on he a told, podcast yeah. Um, but yeah I think Shabby Alonso's the the prodigal the son man. I think it was Gerard for a while and then people realised that yeah it's not going to work um, but yeah I, I imagine there's one you know name at the top of um, the sheet at the moment at Anfield and I think that's Xabi Alonso I think from a supporter's point of view and the club's point of view there's only one man who you can go for isn't there and that is Alonso I keep hearing things about the likes of De Zerbi etc but um, there is one outstanding candidate isn't there and you can't ignore that it is Xabi Alonso I know that he's played down the rumours obviously in his, but he's, he's going to when his side are chasing a, a Bundesliga title Yeah, but um, he, I think ex-Liverpool he will feel he has unfinished business at the club because of the way that whilst they won a Champions League whilst he was there <laughs> he never was he was never at Liverpool during the peak times was he 
No, um, I believe that what he left 2008, I want to say. Nine, wasn't it? Was it, it was something around there. Yeah. So, yeah, he won the Champions League. Wasn't in it the year that they signed Alonso, Kaka, and Ronaldo at the same window? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Um, so, yeah, left in well, summer 2009, won the Champions League, but never really you know, saw Liverpool at the heights they are now. To have him after what he's done this season, I know it's not done yet, so his head will be, you know, in Germany at the moment, but I think he's the next logical step. 100%. And by Leverkusen themselves, the title race in Germany has taken a bit of a turn this weekend, hasn't it? A possible, possible pivotal weekend, I think, with um, Bayer Leverkusen being held nil-nil against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, a game in which they did everything right, apart from the most important thing, put the ball in the back of the net. Something which they've been so reliable at doing yep. this campaign. Two points now, Bayern are behind the league leaders. Where are your thoughts currently? Well, it's, I believe it's the 29th of today. We've got under two weeks now. Yeah, so obviously we've got less than two weeks. And I believe it's the worst possible time for um, Leverkusen to drop points. You know, when you go and face... Um, by Munich especially when it means as much as it does now if I had to predict anything I'd say Bayern probably beat them 2-3-1 two, two, and then it's a, a slippery slope though. yeah I think it's a slippery slope I think Leverkusen will probably drop po- well drop points at the weekend um, next couple of games going to be a bit hesitant Bayern are going to go through them and I believe that Bayern are going to win the league by around 10 points this season I, I, I think it will be a lot closer than you're, in, than you're imagining here Nah. Let, I mean, I mean Le- Leverkusen got a draw at the Alliance in September. <laughs> that was a crucial result. If they were to beat Bayern at home, it's all—it's yet again all in their hands. But it's, it's, it seems another City and Arsenal situation, doesn't it, from last season, where if Leverkusen were to go and beat um, that Bayern, if Bayern was, were to win, sorry, like City did last year against Arsenal, people are going to start to go, yeah, it's all in Bayern's hands now. But if that game is to go in the home side's favour... It is back in Chabi Alonso's hands again, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the the thing for me is that I said last week, I think Bayern are more prone to having a slip-up. I know Leverkusen have just slipped up against Gladbach, but it was bound to happen at some point. And they're still unbeaten. They still haven't lost. And nil-nil isn't the worst result. 100%. Absolutely 100%. Um, I believe that you know we're probably looking at one of the closest battles we've saw in the last few years. But you know, you still think that Bayern are going to go on to win it by ten? Really, one hundred percent. We'll come to that at the end of the season because I'm. I think I'm still in the Leverkusen camp, to be honest. Oh yeah, I really do think I am. I just think that it's a nil-nil. It's not the be-all and end-all of the season, yeah. especially when the two sides play each other. After that game, that's when my opinion will fully be made in terms of if Bayern win that, they're ahead for the first time yeah. in a long while. That's when I go, okay, hold my hands up. But I think until then, which will be a massive game, and all the reaction to that will be here on Eurofocus, yep. as you have every single week. But um, over in Italy, another title race that's done the opposite, seemingly, in which the favourites are seeming to sort of streak away now. Mm-hmm. I said last week, Juventus and Inter going punch for punch with ahead of next week's Derby d'Italia. But at the weekend, Juve did drop points away at Empoli, sorry, in a 1-1 draw. And Inter last night, a very professional form- performance away at Fiorentina. A very sort of pivotal weekend, I think, in which 
Juve dropping points away at Empoli, who aren't the best of sides. A brilliant finish from Tommaso Baldanzi, yeah. by the way, for the equaliser. But Inter last night were far from their scintillating best. Mm-hmm. But just acting like champions in every sense again, in, in the way that you just believe they're going to get results. And against Fiorentina, I mean, Laviola themselves, they're fighting for fourth alongside Atalanta. A crucial weekend for them and dropping two points behind. But into sorry, missing uh, Hakan Chalanoglu and, and Barella in the midfield through suspension. It was fantastic last night. And Lautaro really proving himself again to be that talisman. Yeah. A fantastic header for the goal. I can really see into going on to win the title now mm-hmm. with Juve at home next week. You said that last week, didn't you? Yeah. I just think they've got way too much. And I think this weekend proved it that as good as Juventus have been recently and have been all season, I just don't think they've got enough. Dropping points away to Empoli, it's not the worst result. But when your rivals are this immovable objects that we're seeing with Inter at the moment, it just... Next week will be pivotal. Yeah. 100%. I mean... Inter had a great result away at Juve earlier in the season going and not losing. Not losing there was huge and I think that result will be something that Allegri will look back and say if we won that things could have been different. But I just don't see every game you go into with Inter at the minute even when as I say the likes of Barella are missing. You've got Fratesi to come in. uh, Di Marco was missing last night. Denzel Dumfries has been missing for a few weeks. Jan Zoma been a few mistakes last yeah. night, but he's been a wall, a brick wall in the middle of that goal. Yeah. They've had players missing and they're getting results. And it's a massive testament to Simone Inzaghi. 100%. He's a movable cup record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another yeah, Super did. Cup, another one in a row for Inter. And I think a fifth in total for Inzaghi, Super yeah. Cup. His ninth yeah, trophy. Right. His ninth trophy. And the Scudetto, I think, will just completely finish that off. From a Juve perspective, they've been in the news a lot recently. I don't know if any of you have actually read a pretty intense and pretty interesting article about Andrea Agnelli, yeah. ex-president, very much in the news surrounding the European Super League sort of proposal, which is very much starting to rear up again, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's a great quote, in it's on the Financial Times, um, by the way, and basically what it says is that everyone signed up. Uh, yeah, um, everyone signed up freely. A few people had the fear of missing out, but everyone signed up freely. Well, and, yeah, and then he said that they all signed a two who two hundred paid document, and then all pulled out just yeah. days, well, moments later, due to the fan backlash, didn't they? But the thing is with the Super League, I don't know what your thoughts on it as a whole are, but I find it very interesting to find out the thoughts of Agnelli and when he went on that little lockdown walk with a Paris Saint-Germain president, <laughs> Al-Khalifi, didn't yeah. he? I wonder what that was talking about. Well, he said that they were open to following any UEFA reforms or their own ideas, just as long as the reform did happen. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, but like you said, well, like I said, sorry, in that um, Financial Times um, article, that everyone did sign up freely. Everyone's just as bad as, um, as, bad as each other. I know Agnelli was maybe, you know, not the not the founder of that, but definitely he was at know, the heart of it. Yeah, he was the heart of it. But everyone, rest. everyone did it. Everyone was doing it. Everyone tried to take football away from the fans. And like you said, he's got no conscience. Which I'm guessing when you're a multi-billionaire, you don't really have any way. But I mean, with, yeah, with I Agnelli, hope it doesn't come back. The Agnelli family in general have never been the most straight-talking yeah. family. But 
what I found the most, most interesting was his eagerness to get back involved with Juve in the future. Yeah. After the Plus Valenza case it, with the financial doping last year, and now this situation with the Super League, which is now rearing up again, he's burning all bridges. And yet there are still, to be fair to them, Juve supporters who I've seen on Twitter are still actively pursuing the return of the Agnelli family. Yeah. But I'm really intrigued with, with the way that the Super League goes next because we know that Florentino Perez is still heavily, really, he's mm-hmm. really fighting for this, yeah. isn't he? Real Madrid and Barcelona want it the most, understandably, in their yeah. situation, maybe, because they want to catch up with the, pre- the might of the Premier League, don't they? Yeah. And that is, for me, the root cause, is the might and this real disparity between the Premier League and the rest of Europe creates this problem where the other clubs want a slice of the cake don't they yeah yeah obviously yeah well, it's, a, it's a bigger slice of an even bigger cake yeah and to take to make the clubs lower than them get an even smaller slice yeah, yeah <laughs> and I remember when when the debate reared up again just over Christmas I was away at the time and I had a, ba- had a debate with my granddad about it and it was saying like if you're having this competition if you want to have form a breakaway league and you're having Europe's biggest clubs how can you have Paris Saint-Germain without your Marseilles, 100%. without your Lyons, even the likes of Saint-Etienne. Yeah. Same in Italy. How can you do this without Fiorentina, without your Romas, without your Lazios? How can you just have the big three? That's the thing. That's not the thought that went into it. It was just how do we get as much as we can from each other? There's been no you know, thought of anyone else. It was just as long as we're making money more than we ever have, then that's it. And it goes on to what we say about super clubs, doesn't it? Where there is such a disparity between the big, the giants of football. Because even at that time, there were sides who weren't performing domestically that season, wasn't there? No, yeah. I mean, was it that season that Leicester were in the top, the top four race again, weren't they, for the yeah. second season in a row? They was in and around that. Where was their sort of invite? Well, Tottenham got into Tottenham it. Tottenham were they? awful at that period, wasn't they? It was when they sat Mourinho, brought Ryan Mason in. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Because that was literally one of the biggest jokes about it—the fact that Tottenham, that you know, weren't doing anything at the time, were involved in the the super club group of the European football. And we saw the German clubs say no because of the way that they ran. The second time, yeah. Yeah. How can you form a breakaway league without arguably when you're getting rid of the fans? Without, when it's the fans that vote. Yeah. Without one of Europe's top five biggest clubs in Bayern Munich, mm-hmm. without Borussia Dortmund, and without even some of Europe's giants. Such in, in, in a German sense, like your likes of Schalke, yeah. who've been there and got the T-shirt, it it just baffles me. The whole idea doesn't. There was a complete. I don't want to say naivety, because they're still very smart businessmen, aren't they? The people involved in all of this, but a lack of common sense. Where football has been a game so ingrained by the fans, it has the fans coursing through its very game, yeah. through its very vein. Sorry, it's what football is about to form and have these ideas completely goes against the morals of the game and the fact that it's even still dotting about now and I've seen Agnelli describe the fans as consumers and this consumer based mod- model is not what football yeah, is 100% I've just noticed you've said 100% so many times oh today. god I'll, I'll say it all the time no because <laughs> I'm just agreeing with you I've never because, noticed that today yeah there's not much that um, today, sorry. what you're saying is pretty much factual so, yeah. Well, yeah. we're keeping this in because Ben's just said what I say is factual. <laughs> well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. What, 6% of the time, every time? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Then I'll take that. But no, I, I just don't... I don't ever see it happening. 
but the threat is still there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm completely the same. I I think we'll have a few of these. It'll where, crop up every sort of. Yeah, like it, six it could to eight happen. Months, it? it might happen. It won't happen. And the fact that just you can't take that away. And I know owners don't really care about you know the fans. It's horrible to, especially when you get to super club level. Um, but I just don't think it will ever happen. Maybe the Champions League will um, change a little bit. I know there's a different format coming, but, but I it, can't see a Super League happening. But the champion, but it go, it all goes against itself. Football, just European football, is trying to find a way to self-sabotage itself by the looks yeah. of it. And by having a system in which on-pitch performance doesn't equal reward, that simply goes against what football's about because. I'm not going to lie. I don't want to watch Real Madrid versus another super club every, every day, every single week. No. Why would you want to watch that? And I know that these big games are special. But what makes them so special is the fact they're not every week. It's because the you few and far between which makes them so special. Yeah, to get a semi-final between Real Madrid or Man- Real Madrid and Manchester City or Paris Saint-Germain by Munich and whatever. Oh, that's a big game. It's a big. Oh, it's on again. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're big games because. They're rare games. Yeah. You might get them once a season if you're lucky. 100%. So how can you have this? You've done it again. Yeah, I know, mate. To have the idea, and even with the new Champions League reform where you'll see the top clubs play against each other, yeah. it, all it does is restrict the lower clubs from ever, ever reaching a level of achieving that. Yeah, well, the golf's bigger than ever, and it's getting bigger. And the last thing that you want is to take any form of competition completely out you're creating a new game aren't you yeah. you're creating two separate games of elite of this new star studied astronomical level of football yeah. and then the football that we've been used to yeah and wh- where do you draw the line that's the problem in in our opinion you draw the line now football's obviously going to evolve but you have to keep a system there in the fact that in five years a possible team from league two could be a premiership club could be, yeah. and vice versa if you just take out the top 12 teams in the world and they just play every week then either one of them becomes redundant and I yeah, don't think the su- I, don't, I don't think the Super League's the one that outstays it because I think there's far more football fans <laughs> that want to watch football for football and not just be a glitz and yeah. glamour competition because if you have these competitions and you have say for example a seeded Champions League in which the top clubs play each other all that's going to happen is that the, the, the worst on the pitch out of these top clubs are going to, as you say, become redundant. Where, for example, say Ajax, who are pretty poor on the pitch at the moment, are in that sort of 12. All that's going to happen then is they will become the lowest ranked out of that 12. And as you said, pretty much become redundant. And everyone will look at that and say, oh, Real Madrid versus Ajax, we know what's going to happen here. It's going to be a pretty easy game for Real Madrid. Yeah, and that's the way that it is going to go to. There's going to be so many mismatches, so many, like, you know, cake's great if you eat it once a week, but if you eat it every day, you get bored of it. And that is the problem. Um, <laughs> that's the intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is, you know, I like going to, you know, I like watching, you know. <clears throat> um, Bournemouth versus Burnley. Yeah, I like watching championship games. I like watching, I like watching any football. And if I just watch the best teams against the best teams every week, because there's no excitement. Oh, what they beat them again? Oh, could see that. It becomes a glorified pre-season tournament, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's like that's a great explanation for it. 
And that's what you don't want. You don't want the best playing the best every single week because it saturates it. To end the episode this week, just a little sort of segment, really, because a bit of a shorter one this week. I am in a bit of a rush to get away today from the studio. I've um, got some stuff on tonight. Um, but um, best player in Europe, Ben, this campaign? Yourself, for yourself, go. Um, I'm in the mixed of t- midst, not the mixed. The mixed. Yes. Um, one's Jude Bellingham. Um, the obvious answer. Yeah. Well, it was the one that I said, actually, at the start of the season, and Farmer laughed at me. Um, Bellingham was my, well, player of the year as of, well, the end of this <laughs> season. Um, Connor was actually supposed to be on today's episode, but yeah. we got to the train station and he never turned up, so me and Ben came on our own again. Indeed, indeed. And also, I don't really need to go into much about Bellingham. Everyone knows what he's done this season. His age, um, the talisman for Real Madrid this season, leading him to the top of the league. And the other one is Harry Kane. Goal-scoring record, yeah. unbelievable. Bayern have looked a little bit shoddy at times, hence why um, well, that, that, that there's a doubt that they might win the league. But his goal-scoring record, uh, his goal-scoring record. You can't knock it at all, can you? Yeah. I've gone with another centre forward, somebody that I mentioned earlier, Lautaro Martinez. Yeah, it's a very good shout this season. Simply because I didn't want to go for the obvious Jude Bellingham. Mm-hmm. But for me, he's really became this player that we everyone envisaged that he'd become when he first broke through at Inter. He's got the armband, and as I've said so many times, he's developed this real tal- talismanic sort of aura about him where you watch him and you just know, like when you watched the Supercoppa last week, if there was any man that was going to score the winner, it was going to be him. And it was the same last night with a bullet header from a corner. And his partnership with Turam is sensational. He he played him on a few years ago with Lukaku, but it was a different sort of partnership where Lukaku was the more stationary forward who was in and around the penalty area. And Lautaro was expected to do sort of what Turam does now and do the hard yards, really. But he's really proved himself to be a fox in the box this year, as yeah. well as an all-round brilliant footballer. And Turan making the runs that he does with the energy and non-stop real desire from him, they complement each other perfectly. And his stats say it all. You know, 20 Serie A goals, 19, sorry, um, 22 in all competitions at this stage of the season is ridiculous. And I think all the, all the doubles, best to him... He's doubles a player in this season. Yeah. After the, he took some stick after the World Cup and he's always took a bit of a bit of flack really because people have said he's never hit the heights that he should have but I think he's often been in a team where Lukaku has took the the, re, the real the, yeah. the praise really in honesty and um, I think this season he's been fantastic and taking that armband and really being a talisman in this team one of the if not the best team in Europe currently mm-hmm. alongside maybe Liverpool's and Manchester City's and all the best to him I think for me there's a couple more I thought of Leroy Sané. He has dropped off a bit in recent weeks. Yeah. Across the Premier League, I couldn't really think of anyone. No, well, we've been, been cursed a little bit of injuries, haven't we? Like Our top scorer is Haaland, who has, has been injured yeah, for most of the season. Kevin De Bruyne has De Bruyne been, injured, has been yeah. out. Um, yeah, we're a little stuck in the Prem this year for out-and-out out best player in Europe. But if I had to choose one... You're going for Jude. Yeah. I respect that completely, yeah. So once again, as I say, a bit of a shorter episode this week, but thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. A bit of um, bit of a chaotic trip here. <laughs> and now, as I say, we've both got to get back, me and Ben, because we have both got plans tonight. So thank you very much for listening. Um, we will see you all next week. What a result yesterday. 
for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Boing, boing, <laughs> bye, bye, baggies. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. As always, Wolves A Week. See you all next week. <laughs>